0: Well, hi everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abu here and I am so glad you're back. Listen if it's your first time here, welcome. If you've been here before, then you know that every week we get to spend time talking about uh, faith, life, culture, and all sorts of things. We are now in a series in the book of Hebrews, and I have heard some great things from you about it. It's called the Confidence Series, and I hope it's encouraging you. Hey, I've got some great news. My new book is out. Don't tell anyone you're reading this, uh, a Christian doctor's thoughts on sex, shame, and other troublesome issues. That's a whole lot of title, but it's really a great book about forgiveness and love and intimacy and sex. And so if you want to find out more about me, get the book, it's on Amazon, or you can find out about it at drlenabook.com. Honestly, everybody who's reading it is connecting with it. It's been really um, exceeding my expectations in in terms of its reaction from readers. And so um, this is a book that I was nervous to put out, but honestly, you guys have been so gracious and encouraging. And if you haven't read it, uh, do so, get it. I think you will not regret it. (laughs) That rhymed, all right. Uh, So uh, without further ado, let's hit the Hebrews study for today. And uh, uh, this is a 10-week study. We're now uh, well on our way here. I hope you can sit back and enjoy it. Or if you're out and about, uh, just listen up, pay attention, and let's pray that God moves in our hearts as we dig into his word and the spirit of God moves in us. Thanks again for checking in. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Awesome. All right, guys. Turn into your Bibles to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. But if you've been following with us, you know the study is called the Confidence Series. The subtitle How to Fully Trust God When I Don't See the Way. The entire purpose of the book of Hebrews is to highlight Jesus, that Jesus is better. And it's written to a Jewish group of believers who were struggling. They were uh, tempted to go back to their old Jewish ways because they were being persecuted. The pressure was on. And the harder the pressure, the more they were like, maybe we could just still sort of believe in Jesus, but just go back to our old ways. That way the pressure wouldn't be too bad. And, and, and that's nonsense. They were given a new way. So the book of Hebrews goes through how in many ways, in every way, Jesus is better. And he, the writer is amazing. We don't know who the writer is. And I can't wait to find out in heaven, can't you? And and just the richness of looking at the old and, and the old ways, the sacrificial systems, the the priests, the way, you know, how even with all of the Old Testament ways, people couldn't come to God. They had to rely on the priests and, and they could hear from God only through the prophets and it was complicated and they were afraid that then we're going to look at some of that even today. And so the book of Hebrews was a reminder that in Christ, there was no more need for a wall between them and God, that he had brought them close to the father. And so it's been such a encouraging book. By the way, it wasn't just written to Jewish believers, but also some who were hedging. They weren't sure where they were in the spectrum of faith. And so and so, this book, every week we've been looking at a chapter where we, I've sort of focused on a way of, of God and Christ, like like why we can be confident so Chapter one was on the idea that because he speaks and we saw how God spoke uh, the world into existence and because he's so vivid in his speaking, we can be confident. And And then week two, how he is in control. And in chapter two, he tells us that he is in control over everything always. And so even today, as we're moving into chapter 12, what an exciting reminder to know that God is in control of everything always. You do not have to be afraid, even if you haven't bought a single Christmas gift, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what you're facing. God knows he's in control. Then we went into God's faithfulness and his love for us and the fact that he doesn't lie. And and we've covered so much. Last week, we looked at the others, the men and women who've gone before us. Today, I summed up the teaching on confidence in chapter 12 on this. I am confident because he is my father. We see this fatherly side of God in Hebrews chapter 12 That is that sticks out to me, and I think it is so encouraging, and, and I want us to keep that thread in the back of our minds as we make our way through this love that we're going to see shine through this. And so let me start reading in, in verse uh, 1 of chapter 12, and we're going to go through this chapter. I've got like four big ideas to, to, to divide the chapter, so to speak, and so let me start reading. This comes at the end of chapter 11, of course, 11 to 12, I'm a genius, but but, but chapter 11 gave us the list of all of the men and women who had given their life, You know, some who had seen God's amazing breakthroughs, others who still had died without seeing but trusted by God. Faith. that is a faith chapter. So we just wrapped that up. And verse one of chapter 12 says, therefore, and remember we've talked about therefore. I mean, it's when, when you see that word, it's because it's there for a reason. And so let's look at that after all of these witnesses. We were told, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That picture of Jesus at the right hand of God, multiple times listed early in the book of Hebrews. He says in verse three, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against themselves so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You might be coming to study tonight, listening to this teaching going, man, I'm so tired. You came to the right place because we're told the secret to that. He says, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against themselves so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? I'm going to stop here for a minute. Here's a big idea so far. Only a good, good father cares enough to show me how to fight sin. Only a good, good father cares enough about me to show me how to fight sin. We, We finished talking about the men and women of faith. And now he's saying, okay, because you got these examples, not perfect people. Remember, Samson was listed in the hall of faith. It baffles the mind. Sarah, who spent her life doubting God, was listed there as a woman who, at the end of the day, had a heart motive that believed God. And now the admonition for us is we have a father now who's inviting us to fight sin. And, and by the way, so much, so, so we're given this analogy of the Christian life as a race and, and many analogies are given of the Christian life, mostly agricultural in that day of age. But the analogy of a race, Paul used a couple times in his writing. And in, in fact, at the very end of his life, he says, I finished the race, I've fought the good fight. You know? So this language of race, people have said the Christian life is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And don't I know it to be true? Any of you who have lived a certain amount of time will attest to the fact that yeah, it is a marathon. And there's points where you think you're hitting a wall. And, and then you keep running and, and you go, well, how do you do it? Well, he gives you the ways. And so the fact that he endured is our very motivation because Jesus endured, we can endure. So above all of the men and women who have run, I mean, so one motivation is there are men and women who have run ahead of us, who are inspiring us and cheering us on. But furthermore, he uses the language, look to Jesus, consider him. We had other lessons, I think, earlier, where we had that same language of fix your eyes on Jesus. You want to endure, look to Jesus. And how did Jesus do it? Well, he he endured pain, he felt shame, you know, when people were spitting on him, but but it wasn't shame driven by. By sin, it was just because he was a point of shame. And on the cross, anyone who was put on a cross was considered you know, shameful. And so he went through that pain and, and, and was able to get through it. Why? Because his eyes were fixed on the joy that would come after. So in order to us, for us, and by the way, whether this was written to the Jewish people back in a time when they were about to be persecuted heavily by Nero, and eventually many were killed, most were killed for the faith. Imagine that language. And he's saying to them, like, Jesus has been there and done that. By the way, so have many other men and women who've come before us. And not just the ones who are listed in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11, but many men and women in this era of life that we know. I've read the story recently, again, the summary of the story of William Carey, the man who went to become a missionary to India and ended up translating the Bible into what, 35 languages. He went, after spending his life early on as a shoemaker. He had the third grade education and yet translated the Bible to 35 languages. That guy went through so much misery. In fact, there was a point where he built this printer press after all of these, these, these books were Bibles were translated. They had him, he had so many of the original texts there and the whole thing burned down. And people were like, what are you going to do? You're going to leave the faith. That's besides his own personal wife dies and kids' wife dies. I mean, just heavy, heavy persecution. He's like, how? No. He goes, I don't know if this is from God or from Satan, but many, many men and women who have endured much ahead of us, some who now, we're living in modern day. You know men and women who are enduring much. And because these saints who have come before us are cheering us on, and, and they are a reminder. Of course, they're just, they're not Jesus, but they're a reminder. How did they do it? Well, because their eyes were on Jesus. How do we do it? Well, our eyes are on Jesus. So how do you fight sin? So, so the thing that, what is behind all sin, by the way? What's the connection between endurance and, and sin? Because there is a connection. He's talking about running a race. He's talking about endurance. And in the very same breath, he says, if you're running, imagine you're going for a race. And you've got like a heavy backpack on now i know there are crazy people who go hiking and they put on extra weights okay but most normal people don't do that right most normal people like if you show up to a marathon you've seen the chicago marathon although in chicago it just happened not that long ago no one shows up with a backpack you'd be like what's wrong take, take off your clothes you want to be light and able to run and and so he talks in verse those first few verses let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely uh, to us. And and, and the idea here is twofold. It's not just bad things that are sinful things that make us slow in the race and make us quit the race. Because if you have a heavy weight on you and you get tired, you're gonna stop. You're not gonna finish the race. But it's also things that are weights that may not be bad in and of themselves, but they may be slowing you down. And so think about those things in your life where you might be going, yeah, you know, you know, I, I, you know, an obvious one would be like entertainment. I, it's not, I'm not even talking about just like Netflix. I'm talking about the whole social media world that can be so like it's not bad. Social media is not bad. Look, we're using Facebook right now. It's a good venue to do certain things, but that in and of itself can become a weight that clings to us. And so think about it. There are some relationships in your life that are a weight that may be dragging you down. There may be, again, there may be some some financial choices. Work in and of itself can become a weight. It's a good thing, but it's become and an, an, an too much of a good thing so that you have no more time for focusing on the race. And then, of course, there's legitimately sinful things. At the root of all sin, What, you know, you kind of go back to this connection of of running the race and finishing well and looking to Jesus at the root of all of this tension of, of, oh my goodness, I'm weighed down and I can't spend as much time with the Lord and I'm at the root of all of it is an unbelief. All of our sin is rooted in unbelief, is a lack of believing. That's why the connection with Hebrews 11, where the whole chapter is based on by faith. What's when our faith fails that we turn to money to find a satisfaction. We need to work a little harder because we're afraid we're gonna run out of money. If we could just save a little more. Now, if if you were so, Disbelieving of God's provision and goodness to you, what's the natural response? Well, I gotta work harder. I'll skip going to church on Sunday. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll work a little harder, you know, stop, not do my quiet time. All the things that we do to justify working because it's a good thing, right? As one example, you can apply that disbelief to any area of sin in your life, any area of a weight in your life that's taking you away from running the race well. So great time of the year as we finish the year. What is it in your life that you need to lay aside as you look to Jesus, and, and the only, one of the biggest, not the only, the biggest motivation, as you look to the example of Jesus is what? It's, it's, it's Look at his motivation. It says, uh, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. By the way, good news, we're not responsible to grow our faith. God is going to do it. You just ask him for faith, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Let him grow your faith. But here it is, who for the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of what comes after. The death was gonna be painful, he knew, but it was the joy after. And is we are now sitting at the right hand of God. And so you want motivation, remember eternity. You want motivation to overcome sin, to minimize those things that you think you need on this world, that you think I can't live without, Uh, remember eternity. Our life does not end when we die and go in a grave. Our life just begins, think about it. And all that is coming. And so that is such a motivation. We're gonna be in the presence of Christ. We'll get to that towards the end of the chapter two. And then he gives you a little word of admonition in verses three and four, which is like, like, look, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility so that you may not grow weary. Like, you're not the first to suffer. I'm not the first to suffer. He's not being hard here. He's just being like, like, wake up guys. It's not like the people who came ahead of us had it easy. Sometimes we think like, Christians are supposed to have it easy. Uh, If you think that like, there's a movement, you know, a lot of the prosperity movement preaches like, if you're suffering, something is wrong, really? Because uh, the list in Hebrews 11, verses 32 through uh, 38 gives you a bunch of people who uh, did not end well from a human perspective, but they were banking everything on eternity. But he goes on even to say in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. In, rem- in other words, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus. He resisted to show me that I can resist too. He won so that I can live victoriously too. So only a good father cares enough to show us how to fight sin. And the admonition here, if you have to sum up that point in one word, is run, run, run. Okay, here's a second. Only a good, good father, and you're going to see why I've used the, the imagery of father here, only a good, good father cares enough to discipline his children. All right, let's move into that. So I left in verse 5, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And now he quotes from Proverbs. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Now, as we read through verse 11, see how many times, already we've seen the word discipline twice, and chastise, which is the same as discipline. But, but start looking, because there's anytime you see a word repeated in scripture, it's critical to sort of hone in on it. So in verse seven, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Some of you may be going, I have been under the God's discipline forever. Well, you need to be asking yourself, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm going to tell you a little bit more about discipline in a second, but still just get yourself in this mood. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them Most of us hear the word discipline and freak out, Like, right? We're like, oh man, I hate it. I don't wanna be disciplined. And we think punishment, but important to understand, and again, consistently distinguishing everything I've read on this, discipline is not punishment. Christ on the cross bore the punishment for our sins. Punishment relates to our salvation. God is the judge; he he condemns our sin. We're that you know all of our sin is put on Jesus. He took our punishment. But discipline is not language of punishment. It is language of cultivating our soul, of curbing our passions, of 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 correcting our mistakes. That word discipline relates to sanctification. Interestingly, the word discipline comes from a word. I found this interesting. It's it comes from a word, uh, pedia. I don't know p a i d e ia, which is like the word pedagogy, which is a form of educating children. But but this is interesting. It's also the word where we get the word pediatric. I'm a pediatrician. I thought that was kind of cool. And so, but but it, it has to do. Discipline is is not about bringing us down. It's not meant to create condemnation. It is not related to justification. That's a justification is a salvation concept. Here, uh, it sees the word discipline. Looks at the action of God as our Father and righteousness as the goal it is a word of sanctification and so why God disciplines us, and by the way, that comes through the form of trials often, difficulties, if you're going through difficulties. And it's not always like, there's a lot of reasons why we're disciplined. And and, and I, one of the commentaries that I read sort of gave these four, which I, I thought that was a good summary. One is a retribution. There's a discipline that comes when you sin. I mean, most of us understand that if you're parents or if you have relatives who have kids, I'm, I'm not a parent, but I have seen that discipline and have been grateful for it. And who is an aunt or uncle who hasn't been grateful for who discipline their kids. Haven't you been around kids where you're like, if they don't discipline them, I'm gonna discipline them, right? But nonetheless, uh, this idea of of when someone sins, there is a discipline. Uh, So sometimes that is, and that's by the way, not punitive in a sense, Sin has negative consequences, but really God's discipline when we're in sin is to bring us to a place of greater holiness and sanctification, It's to wake us up, to bring us a point of repentance. But beyond that, that's not the only discipline. We all think of just that, punishment. If you're like me, anytime I get a phone call or someone's like, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the director needs to talk to you, my first thought is, what did I do? Am I going to get fired? Like we have this guilt persona. I don't know where we get it, but it's funny. We always assume the worst. And and it's not just that though. Sometimes discipline is for prevention. It is a wall of protection around us. Some trials are meant to keep us from going down a path that would not be good for us. That is a form of discipline. We need to ask God when we go into discipline. Why is this happening? So sometimes it's retribution against sin. Sometimes it's prevention, a building of a wall of protection around us often it's education. It is an opportunity to allow us to understand, to educate us. That, remember pedagogy, educate us what? To experience God more. The essence of holiness is happiness. Holiness is, I'll talk about holiness in a second. Let me hold on that thought for a minute. But But it's an educative discipline that's meant to wake us up to our need for the Lord got a wonderful text from Arena this afternoon telling me some of the benefits she sees in singleness. And singleness can seem like a never-ending trial for the single person like myself. And some singles, if you're watching, Christmas is a horrible time to be single. It's just like, you know, a lot of things that can come up. And, and she was telling me how she's been driven to create a dependence on the Lord through this trial of singleness. And it is. I mean, even people who like myself, who's thriving in singleness. I wrote a book called Thrive. I did an interview today on the book that I wrote 10 years ago on singleness. And and all this to say that education of that trial is meant to draw us into a dependence on God. And we need those things. And, and lastly, it's an anticipation. Why does God discipline us? Sometimes trials and difficulties come in our life to give us anticipation towards what's to come. It helps us loosen our hold on the things of this earth. Remember the old hymn? Maybe you don't. Nobody sings hymns anymore, but this one has become semi-popular in this age. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I can't believe I remember it. I'm so good. But I haven't sang that in a while. But I love that hymn because the things of this earth can become so addictive have you not caught yourself on Instagram? You're scrolling in, and all the lifestyle pictures, and you're like, "How did they make their homes look so pretty?" And you try, and you're like, "Man, the table's set, but it doesn't quite look like these people." And everyone seems to have a knack on it, or or their bodies, or their whatever it is, their style, and. Mm-hmm. And listen, it can be so alluring, vacations pop up. You're like, you need to go five top places to go on vacation. You're like, oh my goodness, this looks so nice. And you just constantly have this urge to hold on to this world. And sometimes trial are simply a reminder, like we're not here forever. There's something better coming. We don't need everything. Of heaven here on earth, because we will be in a different place someday. So, so only a good father. So, the the idea and discipline. You know, first he, the good father. We talk about how he cares enough to show me how to fight sin. Some things have to go. We need to run with endurance. Get rid of the things that are weighing you down. Look to Jesus. And then, secondly, only a good father cares to discipline us. You go, man. Why do I suffer? Do you ever catch yourself saying this? I do. And and I'm telling you, the people in my life attest to that. I tend to get caught up in this scenario. Where I'm like, why do I suffer more than others? Well, first of all, that's all, first of all, if you're not suffering, again, what the word says, I'm not making it up. He says, it is for discipline you have to endure. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which, look, the word, I circled it. All, all, all means who? All means everyone. All, everyone, all, no one is missing. All have participated. Who all? He goes, if you're not, well, here it is. Then you're illegitimate. So if you're like, I never struggle. I'm in a great place with God. I don't think that would be something I would brag about. I would ask the question, if you're not going through any trials, are you truly a child of God? Because he's saying, if you are a child, he will discipline you. And he says, look, he says, "What, what helps us hang on in trial? Well, it's the knowledge of the why. Why does God do it? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. So what is his love? The only way to get through trial is to understand there is no trial given to us as an as a angry God who's upset that you peeked at something you shouldn't peek or said something you shouldn't say. Of course, sin grieves God, but but it's because he's a father who loves you. And so as, as if you can look through trials, if you can see through them, maybe you need to look up over the wall to see God's love, but not just His love, but also your sonship or daughtership. Sonship is used in this unisex, you know, way, but but so it's not meant just for the boys, but for everybody. But but this this, this relationship, you're you're a child of God, and so if you're going through trials, this should encourage you. Look, you don't need to grow weary or faint hearted. The same admonition here for the people of, of, of living in early you know, Rome who are suffering persecution, who are debating, maybe we were better off before we came to Christ. Maybe we should go back to the old tradition. No, no, because Jesus is better. We've already established that. And now understand that if you're going through trial, there is a reason for it. It's because you are loved by a loving, father, not just by God up in the sky, but by your father, you have been given adoption. Why is that language used? Because through Christ, we have been invited to be children of God. We've been given the right to be children of God. John chapter one, verse 12. And the language of adoption is Romans chapter eight, Colossians over and over again. You're not just a random person in the family of God. Look, I say this, I mean, and God forgive me for, for, for those things, but I'm just trying to be authentic with you. Like I've gone through seasons where I'm like, I feel like I'm the real adopted child of God. Everybody else is real children of God. I'm adopted, right? Like you just feel like you're like the one who isn't getting the things that you thought you should get. You know, I, I remember when we were growing up, we, we went to my aunts and they would have this pie and they would cut the pie. And I always felt like I got the smallest piece, right? I mean, I mean, it's not like that, right? We have such a skewed a self-centered version of, of, this is why we need Bible study, to remind us, like, even as I hear myself, like, I think, why well, how, how, how do, do I say this stuff? Because we've given the right to be children of God through Jesus. He paid the price so that you and I can be made a son and a daughter so that we can never utter these words. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm really adopted. How do we minimize the cost that Jesus? paid for us for making us allowing us to be invited into this family and by the way there is a difference between those who have accepted christ as who his payment for our sins who have been brought into the family of god god loves everybody yes but there is a unique relationship with those who have received christ that is not available in fact i would suggest that if you're going through trials as a child of god it's so easy to question, am I really? Does God really love me? What have I done wrong? Listen, that is rubbish. It is because he loves you that he's allowing these things for you. Hopefully those four attributes of discipline and why discipline might encourage you today and the idea of of what comes out of discipline. We're told in, in verse 11, for the moment, everything, yes, it seems painful. Like, of course, that's why we're told early in Hebrews that the captain of our salvation was made perfect through what? Through suffering. He suffered, he knows and and, and, and and he says, for the moment, it's painful rather than pleasant. But later, you go, when later? Right? Do you, do you ever go, how long, oh Lord? When later? I have those chapters circled in the Bible. And and later, humanly, it might feel like forever. And, and you might be like me, looking at the second half of your life and going, man, it doesn't look like it's ever going to happen. Listen, you're looking with human eyes. There's more to come. There's an anticipation for more who told you the story ends when we die? It's just beginning. And I'm not saying God's not going to fill your life with good things here on this earth. The best that we have on this earth is the presence of Christ in us. If we could just take time to experience it, to be with him, to, to direct our lives, to shed away those weights and Things that might not be bad in themselves, but are pulling us down. And those things which are bad that we're saying yes to over and over again. And if we could just shed those off. And, and remember, there's a bunch of people cheering us on who have walked the path ahead of us. And then he goes on to verse 12. We had a couple more. Verse 12, therefore, here's another therefore. So he's now talked to us a little bit about this fight against sin, this endurance the discipline. And therefore, so what's the result of understanding God's love? And what's the result of seeing yourself as a child of God who might be going through difficulties, but for a reason? Therefore, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Now, let me give you the big idea. Only a good father, Uh, Cares enough about my holiness. We started with only a good father cares enough to show me how to fight. We need to run. Only a good father cares enough to discipline his children. By the way, the, the 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 outcome of that is submit, submit, admit. If you're wrong, submit to his ways. Submit to the trial. Don't don't try to escape it. Bring yourself under the trial. And now, only a good father cares enough about my holiness. And here, uh, the sort of the the working out of that holiness is to strive for holiness, uh, strive for peace for everyone, strive for ho- and for holiness, without which no one see God. And I also put slash repent. So strive, repent, both are sort of, uh, now you go, what is holiness? It sounds so boring, right? In our 2022 Netflix world, uh, where we like little, you know, fun stuff. And we're like, holiness, holiness. That's a, holiness is happiness for for everybody by the way, Um, but but we don't see that clearly. Holiness, I like this definition of it that I heard uh, in a sermon that I was listening to on this this week. Holiness is the absence of everything that causes turmoil, chaos, pain, fear, and restlessness. That's happiness. It's the absence, holiness is the absence of anything that causes fear, restlessness, anxiety, turmoil, think about that, that's holiness that's a, That's when you're in the presence of God, and there's a, you know that moment, you've you've been with, the, you've, you've come to Christ, so you've experienced that moment, where for a moment in time, you know that all is well, because Christ has paid the price for your sin, God is in control of everything, and I've experienced those moments, even this week, I've had this time, extra time this week, I'm caught up on some projects, I've been intentional about seeking God more regularly, and I've through trials, seen things in my life that I want to change in the next year and submitting my fresh myself anew and striving for holiness. And look, that doesn't look like perfection. I'm not saying. Even this morning I had a I had an episode where I said things that I thought, man, how do I still say you know, why do I still react this way? Because it is a process. So so I'm not saying that if you wake up, if you go to bed tonight, go, God, I want that. I want to pursue you that way. I want holiness. I don't want to be like Esau. I don't want to make a choice to, to hang on to whatever it is that I want and ignore all of the things that you want to give. There came a point where Esau just didn't repent. By the way, the New Testament example of Esau is Judas. Judas was the same way. He could have repented, but his heart was far gone. So instead he hung himself. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus with a kiss and he ended up hanging himself. Imagine living with Jesus for three years in ministry and ending up that way, missing the goodness and the grace of God. And so remember that the audience that Hebrews, uh, the writer was writing to, some were committed Christians, but some were on the fence and some had not committed yet to Christ. And so This is a word of reminder and admonition and and conviction to anyone who's saying, not yet God. Remember in Hebrews, we studied early on chapter four, that today is the day of salvation. If you see sin in your life, repent, repent. God wants us to have that holiness. Why? Because there's freedom in it. There's joy in it. Our father knows that without holiness, we cannot see him clearly. he says, it. strive for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you wonder why you can't see God clearly? Uh, And I don't mean visually see a shadow of him. I mean, just see him in your life. Maybe you need to confess certain things in your life. Maybe there are things that are causing you fear and restlessness and turmoil. And you're reacting in a way that is not pleasing to him, in a way to try to control the situation or numb your pain or whatever it is that we do. Confess it. Repent. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Listen, listen, our Father knows that bitterness always stands in the way of my holiness and that without holiness, I can have no confidence. Our whole confidence is based. How we come to God is the understanding. It's not my work. It's not my holiness. It's him. It's his washing uh, my sin. It's it's him helping me get through uh, the, th- the, the trials in my life. It's him opening my eyes to his presence. It's him arousing, even as you hear and read these verses, feeling a stirring in your heart of saying, there, I know that I want to be different. And, 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 and I'm telling you guys, I've been listening to sermons on the book of Hebrews, preparing for these and reading commentaries. And I, I've listened to some sermons and it has stirred my heart. And I, I am committed to, to waking up in 2023 to the realities of life in Christ. Last point, and I'll wrap up here. Uh, Only a good father cares enough for me to hear him clearly. All right. Now, I'm going to read you those verses and try to explain some of them just because I think it'll bring us to an end. And I know it's a big section, but let's do it because we've come this far in Hebrews. We're not going to stop now. And uh, it says this in verse 18, for you have not Come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages may be spoken to them. I'm going to explain these verses in a minute because I've read this section of Hebrews and I always get to like that part and I go, oh, no, no, I don't understand it too much. I so will come in and explain it. It says for verse 20, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Now, what mountain is he talking about? He's referring, remember Hebrews, an Old Testament audience Jewish believers. All of it was comparing Old Testament to new, old ways to better ways. Jesus is better. This is the Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was where Moses went and the law was given. And the law, the Ten Commandments, remember, it's like you couldn't look at God. Remember when, when Moses came front of the Ten Commandments, they were reveling and all doing all this kind of idol worshiping. And there was a big plague. And then and again, Moses went to God for 40 days and and God was going to send them off and they begged him, no, we won't go unless you come. And then for a while, Moses would go meet with God and they were afraid to look at Moses. That's how much fear of God. Mount Sinai, uh, that, that time of, of the life of the people of Israel, it, it was a scary time. It's like he's reminding them. He's like, remember, you have not come uh, to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and tempest. Sinai reflected the law. The law was scary. You had to be perfect. Nobody was perfect. That's why they had to give sacrifices over and over again. And they had to go through all of these things, yearly and the, and the holy of holies and the, the, the high priest. And, and we've talked about this. And, and he says, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. Here he, Now he contrasts. Remember, we're in the New Testament now. Jesus has come and he's better than everything. He says, but you have come See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. That's where I got this fourth point. Only God only a good good father cares enough for me to hear him speak. Listen, he's speaking through these these uh, images in the Old Testament. This comparison of what was and what is. You go, where is Mount Zion? Well, interesting to read also some descriptions of that. There is a location in Israel. It's not a huge mountain, but Mount Zion. Even in the Old Testament, when you, when you uh, read that, I think it's uh, the scripture uh, is from Second uh, Samuel chapter six. I was going to say I wrote it somewhere and I can't see it here, but I believe it's from Second Samuel chapter six, where uh, David had won a, a victory against I want to say the Gibeonites, and 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 at the end of that, he basically built the city of Jerusalem. So over and over again, when Mount Zion is referenced in scripture, the Psalms repeatedly talks about Mount Zion and the word for Zion and Jerusalem are interchangeable. And it is the picture of grace. It is the picture of atonement and grace. And it is the opposite of Mount Sinai. So there's Mount Sinai and there's Mount Zion. And Mount Zion is this picture of this new and better way through Christ. Indeed, Mount Zion, he goes, brings you into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, what's to come, how we were brought into that through the, of course, the new covenant, the mediator and to Jesus. And of course he now references Abel and the blood. Abel gave a good sacrifice. He shed the blood, but now the much better blood of the shedding of Jesus. And so, um, uh, That's the invitation for us is to the place of grace, to Mount Zion. So who, who in their right mind, who, who hears the story of what Jesus has done in the New Testament and through his birth, now we celebrate as we come to Christmas the birth of Jesus. Well, it is remarkable and amazing. And without the birth of Jesus, we wouldn't have an idea of who God is to the extent that we do. We had all these pictures of it in the Old Testament. But but the birth, but really eventually the death of Christ and, and the offering of atonement for our sins. And now we walk by grace so that, remember in Hebrews, over and over again, more than once, three times we're told to approach the throne of grace. Why? Because because we have been given mercy through Christ. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. The audience, remember, some were refusing still. Are you open to him? Let's finish the reading and wrap up our thoughts here. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less shall we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. He's talking about later on when he comes back. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. And regardless of your thoughts on tribulation and end times, this talks about After basically. Uh, This is not a discussion of the end times per se, but just saying that at some point he's coming again. That is the promise here. And the things that we see will no longer be. There will be a new Jerusalem. And therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Listen, don't forget, as good and as great, I mean, we in Christ we see all the goodness, all the grace. We see everything accessible to us in Christ, but our God is a consuming God and it is a consuming fire. And and the reason that we have boldness is not because we are good. It is not because we got it right. It is not because we can run the race well and remove the weights of us. That's not it. The reason that God does not consume us is because we are covered with Christ. When he sees us, he sees his son. That is the only reason that we don't suffer the way that those who, when you, but but the reality is judgment is coming and judgment has come. And those who reject Jesus, we have this life and we've been given a time and we have been given the word. We can hear he is speaking over and over again. He does it all the time through our trials, through our difficulties, through creation, through his word, through, over and over in our circumstances, we're told over and over again the truth of who he is and what he has done for us. But he is a consuming fire. Think no less of who he is. And, and, and while that might put fear in our heart, listen, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And yet knowing who he is and hearing how he has spoken through the prophets and now through his son. Uh, in fact, remember the very beginning of the book of Hebrews. It's amazing. I mean, when you even as I'm teaching you now, I'm remembering all those things that we started the book long ago, and at many times and in many ways, God spoke. To our fathers by the prophets, but in these last name he has spoken to us by his son. Are you listening? Are you listening? That is the admonition here. First, we talked about uh, how he helps us to fight sin. We need to keep running. He, uh, he's loving enough, caring. He's a good, good father, enough to discipline us, submit to the discipline. He's a good, good father, cares enough about my holiness, repent, strive for holiness. And then he's a good, good father who cares enough for me to hear him speak. Am I listening? We need to listen, listen, listen. What are you going to do in the coming year? How, what are you going to do in the coming week? What are you going to do tonight to hear him better? And uh, today is the day of salvation. Listen, my friends, if you are in a place of indecision, maybe you, like me, have been caught in seasons of sin. Listen, today is a day that you don't need to clean up your act. He's already paid the price for your sin. If you don't know him, come to him, admit that you're a sinner, embrace the punishment that Jesus paid for you, receive his blood, washing you clean. And if you know him, confess your sin, ask him to set you on... A fresh again come to him all you are weary and are heavy laden he's waiting to give you rest listen we have no other place to go won't you come to him today well that's the end of our time together and i'm so glad you checked in i hope that you found this study useful listen i'd love for you to come back next week we drop new episodes every week and we're going to continue with the hebrew study hey why don't you use the time during the week to read through what we just uh, studied why don't you go back and read from hebrews and on and on and Uh, Let the word of God dwell in you richly. Uh, Let us uh, lean into what God uh, is doing in our lives. And uh, before I leave you, let me remind you that you can check out drlinabook.com and find out all about my new book, or just go to Amazon and put in my name or the title of the new book. Don't tell anyone you're reading this. I think you're gonna love this book. Hey, if you've read it, why don't you go to Amazon and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, do so. Uh, it will be an easy way to be reminded every week that there's a new episode. Hey, again, thanks for being here. We're praying for you. If you want to leave me a message, do it at at LivingWithPower.org. And uh, with that in mind, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care and know that God loves you.